We got word late Monday night that Canadian legend Gordon Lightfoot has died at the age of 84. So we spent a lot of the morning discussing our favorite Canadian legends. Also today we had our monthly visit with the Premier. Among the things we discussed, changes coming to the way bail works in our province. Also, retaining Crown attorneys, retaining medical staff, and with the election only a few months away, we had a question for the Premier about decorum. Breakfast with the Bombers. Today we talked CFL Draft Day and the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra as they celebrate their 75th anniversary has a pretty cool party they'd like you to attend. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, May 2nd podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on this Tuesday, our monthly chat with the Premier coming up at 8.35. Tuesdays also mean breakfast with the Bombers at 7.35. We'll talk CFL draft day, but and we'll have much to discuss on this through the morning. But, Loren, it was you who shared the news with us yesterday that a Canadian legend has passed. Yeah, Gordon Lightfoot passing away at the age of 84, his family says, of natural causes. And, of course, that had all sorts of people from uh, Justin Trudeau to Stephen King tweeting about Lightfoot and what he meant as a performer, um, the songs that meant something to them, Sundown, whether it be the, the wreck of Elvin, Edmund Fitzgerald, like the, the whole Canadian connection. And actually last night, I was watching The Voice, an old episode uh, from earlier this year, and one of the singers sang a Joni Mitchell song, uh, A Case of You, which has a, speaks to Canada and the love of Canada. And I thought, oh, there's something so cool about singers who really connect with the story of Canada and the history of Canada. And then an hour later, we got that news that Gordon Lightfoot had passed away. And so I think there's lots of people thinking about what his music meant to them this morning or the connection they just have with the country and the landscape and the geography and the history and all the rest. His songs were often covered by other artists. So you may absolutely love a Gordon Lightfoot song and not even realize that it was he who penned or authored said song. So uh, Gordon Lightfoot, an absolute living legend up until his passing uh, yesterday. And Brett McGarry, I know that you have one of the more fascinating stories about Gordon Lightfoot because it was several years ago that there was widespread reports of Gordon Lightfoot passing away. It was February 2010. I was the technical producer for Charles Adler, which was he had a national show that aired across the Chorus Radio Network in the afternoon. And I was uh, his producer within the, sitting in the same spot where Jeff Fortier sits right now. And we were reporting it because we, it was coming from valid sources that Gordon Lightfoot, it wasn't coming from like Johnny Five's rampaging blog or something. Like this was from reputed news sources in Canada that Gordon Lightfoot had died. And and then I take a phone call and he says, uh, oh yeah, hi, it's uh it's Gordon Lightfoot. I'm um I'm I'm not dead. <laughs> Can I talk to Charles? So I, I said, uh okay and I put him on hold and tell Charles off the air, hey, uh you might want to pick up the phone, Charles. <laughs> Like it's Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> uh, so we, because he heard it on the radio that, that he was dead. Incredible. And did they have a conversation after that? Yeah, and, we put and, him and on interview? the air. 
We put him on the air, and uh, yeah, he had, he was getting people were contacting him left and right. I guess as this was happening, so he called to dispel the rumors at the time of his demise. So rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. And I, I did think- try to find that audio, by the way. I, if I if I have it stashed somewhere, I don't know where I've put it. There's something. Uh- Additionally incredible about that moment because he's just a guy calling up to clarify the facts and happy to have a chat. Like he wasn't upset. Yeah, no, not at all. Just like, let's, but we can talk, you know, let's talk about my history, my life. I think because I think if Charles tells it, they went on to have a pretty good conversation after that on air. And uh, something about that is also additionally very Canadian. I'd agree with you 100%. That's exactly what I was thinking. So very Canadian. Um, I'm calling to let you know I'm still alive and. Would you come on the air? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not mad. Like- no, no, just to have a, a laugh about it and and to have it spark, I'm sure, some fascinating conversation. So uh, lots of people uh, paying tribute to Gordon Lightfoot uh, last night and, of course, uh, throughout the day in the coming days for sure. So we'll have more on Gordon Lightfoot coming up in our next segment. Mike Drolet from Global News has put together a wonderful package. And then at 6.45, we want to expand our conversation on Canadian legends. Also today, as mentioned, Loren, the Premier, coming in for the monthly visit. And I was looking at the calendar this morning and realizing that it's five months tomorrow to the provincial election because Ooh. it feels like the countdown is on. In some respects, you had the NDP out yesterday in western Manitoba in an area that they've never wanted, or if they have, it's long before my time, a, a conservative stronghold. And they went to the Riding Mountain area to talk health care because, in Wab Canoe's words, we're here to fight for all of Manitoba, and they're looking to get back in the game. And so the, the race is on in many respects because promises will be made from now until October 3rd by all three major parties looking to take back, to take hold, to keep hold of the government. And so the Premier will be in this morning and we'll talk about some of the promises that have been made and maybe need, still need to be made no matter what your political stripes are. Now, I, you know, I don't mind elections. I think they're uh, interesting, obviously, in the world that we live and work in. It's something that we talk about and analyze and we'll be discussing over the next several months. But isn't that sort of depressing to realize that October 3rd is only five months away? Yes. Someone should do my math on that too. I was doing that at 4 a.m. like May to June, June to That's July. Like counted. using my fingers yeah. to lie to August. <laughs> well, like something like that you want to be bang on right. And then I th- you're right. And then that means it's fall and it like Thanksgiving time. So I don't, I don't right. necessarily want to think about the election, but I would be curious to know, we've talked, like there's two big issues I think in this province for people right now. And maybe there's more. There's affordability and there's healthcare. And then within that, there's crime. And I would I, w- I would love to know from folks like if you're listening if there's anything that you need that you say should needs to be fixed right now, what is it? And what would that look like? Let us know at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Pounding wanna, my fists. Want to pound your fist while you send us that text? <laughs> Do so, and we'll get into that more with the premiere coming up at 8.35. Also, uh, a little bit later, after breakfast with the Bombers, we want to talk, what's this about Leafs fans can't buy tickets in Florida? So this isn't brand new. This is something that professional teams have done over the years. They have set up basically on Ticketmaster, if you don't have a Florida or United States even address... You can't buy tickets for the playoff games for the Florida Panthers in this next round. It's an effort to make sure that their arena doesn't become filled with rabid 
Toronto Maple Leafs fans <laughs> in the National Hockey League, one of the more famous rivalries that have done this to one another's fan bases are the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Washington Capitals. Very close geographically. They're bitter rivals, right? Crosby versus Ovechkin. Yeah. And so certain uh, areas, regions, uh, zip codes in the Ticketmaster system, if you're trying to get tickets for Washington Capital Capitals games, you'll be shut out, and vice versa for Pittsburgh Penguins. So that's what they're doing in Florida right now because they know for a lot of folks, it'll be less expensive to get on a plane, go to Florida, buy tickets there, than to get tickets that will no doubt be through the thousands of dollars to get into. Is it still, I was going to call it Air Canada Centre. It's not. It's Scotia Bank Arena or whatever it's called now in Toronto. Sure. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Gordon Lightfoot, often called Canada's greatest songwriter and known worldwide as one of the founding fathers of folk rock, has died at age 84. Global's Mike Drolet has more on Lightfoot's career and his music legacy. With the load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Fitzgerald weighed empty. There was something quintessentially Canadian about Gordon Lightfoot, even when he wasn't singing about Canada. It had that feel, didn't it? And if you ask Bob Dylan, he wished Lightfoot's songs would last forever. He was praised by peers from afar and fans here at home. Fellow Canadian Robbie Robertson of the band called Lightfoot a national treasure. You can't jump jet he was born north of Toronto in Orillia in 1938 and from a young age was considered a musical prodigy. His mother pushed him to perform and he made his first appearance at Massey Hall as a 12-year-old. His voice hadn't even changed yet. Well, it would. And like contemporaries Joni Mitchell and Neil Young, the baritone sought fame and fortune in the U.S. He lasted two years before returning to Canada where he lived the rest of his life. You could Fame found him when others began covering his songs, and then in 1966 he broke through in Canada. Six years later he scored his only number one hit in the U.S., Sundown. It's rumored to have been written about a girlfriend. His life and his loves inspired material he used for his lyrics often. There was a lot to mine. He was married three times. The ship was the pride of the American side, coming back from Wisconsin. Arguably, his most famous piece wasn't about a woman at all. The wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald became a piece of Canadian cultural lore, a Canadian hit for us by one of us that we all just knew. It was his signature song. His health deteriorated in his later years. An abdominal issue led to a six-week coma, and he suffered a stroke on stage. He would later laugh at death. He was healthy in 2010 when a Twitter death hoax announced he had died. Lightfoot even called into a radio station to prove the tweets wrong. His legacy goes beyond his talents as a singer and songwriter. His distinctly Canadian story is set to music. The one stars from beyond our borders clambered to sing. And back in his hometown of Aurelia, he'll remain cast in bronze. Maple Leaf music notes flowing out of his guitar. Mike Drolet, Global News.
Yeah, that Northern Lights for Africa. You know, a lot of so much, so much is made out of uh, "Do They Know It's Christmas" and the American song. I get in a lot of trouble when I say this, but I think the Canadian song is better. And the and the and and "Do They Know It's Christmas" might be one of the greatest songs ever written and ever performed in terms of popular music, but I think the Canadian one is actually better. And uh, Lightfoot is so good in that. I can't remember. I'm ashamed to admit I can't. I can I can see the video. I, I can I, I know the music is rattling around somewhere in my head, but I can't quite remember that. I'm song. sure we'll hear well, it at some point. Let's this bring morning. it up. We'll we'll get it to play in the next segment or something like that. There's lots of there's a whole trove of songs to choose from, and you know even when you listen to his music, the number of times in the last 24 hours I've gone to then Google the mm-hmm. story that he's telling in the song, and and Drolet rec- referenced the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. If you're not of a certain vintage, you might not even know about that wreck on one of our Great Lakes. I think 25, 29 people were killed in it in the shipwreck, and so. Uh, just the, the, what you learn listening to his music is remarkable. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In a moment, we're talking potential changes to bail. In our next segment, we'll tell you how you can win yourself some tickets to see Jagged Little Pill at the Centennial Concert Hall, and it ties into Canadian legends and the death of Gordon Lightfoot. Just before we talk about bail, question of the day results yesterday. Tegan was just talking about getting outside. Question of the day for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. Now that we finally got some nicer weather, what's the first order of business? 64% say yard work. 25% say playtime, things like golf, barbecue, patios, etc. Uh, just over 1% say hammock naps. And get this, 9% say I miss winter. Come on, 9%? Kudos <laughs> to you, that those people who are They're trolling putting us. it. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Speaking of yard cleanup, though, which led the way in that poll, Greg, if you are cleaning up your yard in Winnipeg and you have leaves that are being picked up, what's the deal with the... City of Winnipeg? Yeah, so uh, curbside pickup of your leaves and your grass clippings and branches and all that sort of stuff started yesterday. So uh, you will get that service once every two weeks. So the city's divided into Group A and Group B. Group A, obviously, will come first. And so uh, folks that are in Group A, including uh, people in my neighborhood, will be getting that pickup this week. And then people in uh, area Group B will get pickup starting next week. So you can check that out at uh, winnipeg.ca. I just Googled uh, leaf and grass clipping pickup city of Winnipeg, and it took me to a website. I filled in my address, and it told me when I would start getting that Ah, pickup. Okay, easy peasy. Easy peasy. (laughs) Ahead of expected federal legislation that could change Canada's bail laws, the Manitoba government is announcing more community supports and monitoring for high-risk offenders who are granted bail. So it's expanding an intensive probation program with plans to also launch an electronic monitoring program. There's a pilot bail program, which they say will increase public safety. But of course, uh, experts say more funding for social supports would be better. So we get more now from Global's Rosanna Hempel. Winnipeg police say offenders on bail accounted for about 25% of robberies in the city last year, and about 20% of assaults and violent crime. The kind of statistics and overall rise in crime that Justice Minister Kelvin Gertson says the province wants to curb with three initiatives. A doubling of resources when it comes to intensive monitoring of those on probation in the province of Manitoba, a new program uh, as it relates to adult uh, bail release and supervision, 
and then a request for a proposal on electronic monitoring in the province of Manitoba. Under the first two initiatives, Gertson says a hundred more high-risk offenders will get more intensive supervision under the Criminal Organization High-Risk Offender Unit, along with 25 men and 25 women under a new adult bail management program. Gertson says the province also wants to get about 100 electronic monitoring units. The justice minister didn't give a price tag, but added the changes wouldn't be cheap. University of Winnipeg criminal justice professor Kelly Gorkoff doesn't think they'll be cost-effective or impactful. She says studies don't back electronic monitoring on its own. It um, put clients in a position where they felt they were over-surveyed and not helped enough with the real-life material conditions that give rise to offending. Gorkov points to addictions and mental health funding, basic income and housing as the commitments that would reduce crime. And criminal defense lawyer Zilla Jones agrees, but she's also expecting clients will want electronic monitoring if it means freedom, but warns it may have mixed success. For some people, I think it is a, a good deterrent to them doing anything bad because they know that they're being monitored and being watched. Gertzen says the programs will go ahead regardless of federal bail reforms. Rosanna Hempel, Global News. So not only bail reforms in my mind, Loren, but the, just this whole idea of what's the philosophy of the Canadian justice system overall? Like, are we determined to warehouse criminals? Like, I, I think a lot of people would argue happens in the United States. Or is it to rehabilitate them? And I thought that was always a, one of the cornerstones or supposed to be one of the cornerstones of the Canadian justice system. But when you hear about the number of of crimes that are committed by those on bail or those that are on probation, it gets a little frustrating and, and you wonder where the commitment is to the rehabilitation side, in my mind. Right. So the numbers the city of Winnipeg police provided yesterday suggested that nearly 20% of people charged with violent offenses last year were out on bail at the time. 16% of those charged with homicides were either out on bail or probation. Now, I'm not sure of that, how many then saw a conviction. You know, were they guilty? There's the presumption of innocence, which is why we have bail. You don't want to put somebody in jail until you can prove they committed the crime. But those are high numbers for me. And so that is concerning. And when they talk about bail reform and the need for some of those changes, now I can look at those numbers and say, okay, that makes a bit more sense to me. But are we reacting to the problem or working to prevent it, and that's which is my, another part of it as well. Hundred percent, and that's so. That's where I bring in the question about rehabilitation and programs to help those that have been convicted of a crime have gone to prison and served their sentence, and all too often that sentence isn't fully served. Uh, early parole. Do they have? Do those folks have the tools required to at least have a chance to reintegrate into society? Because we release convicted criminals early without giving them those tools. In my mind. And if it is happening, we need more of it. And when I say we aren't committed to warehousing career criminals either on the flip side, does anything raise your ire like a media release, which includes notice of an individual being released into the community with an asterisk, which says high risk to reoffend? How does that how is that even a thing? How is it even a thing, though, that then also two months later, they're usually back in jail because someone is monitoring them to catch them out on probation to make sure that they're, Hours, they're being days, weeks make later sure they're put often. back in. But then do we have the people to do all that monitoring? <sighs> so again, with all these changes, I, I have to, I'd have to have more conversations about it, but I do, 
I do think that there's that appetite out there to say we're at the very least, if we're not going to keep you in prison, we're going to do better at watching you while you're out of prison, which gets to those bracelets or anklets or whatever it gets. I don't know what the technology is. What's more in Brett? I'm thinking of a prison show right now where they come out with those little things on their ankles. Yeah, the things yeah. that they put on the, on the, on the ankle or the wrist or Electronic whatever. monitors. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You can weigh in at 204-780-6868. You can read more at cjob.com. We'd love to get your thoughts on this. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Today we are going to have a conversation about Canadian legends. After the death of Gordon Lightfoot, legendary folk singer and songwriter who died of natural causes last night in a Toronto hospital at the age of 84. So do you, who is your favorite Canadian legend? Do you have a story? Like, have you ever met one maybe? 204-780-6868. We do have tickets to see Jagged Little Pill, Broadway musical coming to Centennial Concert Hall in October Let's go around the horn here. Greg Mackling, let's start with you, sir. Oh, it's funny. I was just talking about this. I guess it was in light of Gordon Lightfoot's passing and uh, the passing of Tim uh, Backman. And um, Randy Backman was posting all sorts of pictures of his childhood. He's the oldest of four. Now he's a surviving sibling. He's the oldest. And his three siblings have now all passed away. And so he's talking about Winnipeg and posting pictures and I was remembering our incredible conversation with him on the air and we've had uh, Burton Cummings on the air in the last year or so. So it's incredible to have the opportunity to sit down and to hear firsthand these stories from these legends, especially when they are so Winnipeg centric. And so that makes it very special for me because there's similar stories. My dad would tell me these stories as a kid about, oh, you know, this song is about that street or that party or this interaction between Neil Young and Randy Bachman. And then to have them validate my stories that I quite often didn't believe is, is, is quite fantastic. But I wanted to play this really quick. One of our listeners mentioned this. It's Burton Cummings singing Rod Stewart as Gordon Lightfoot. Gordon Lightfoot's favorite singer were Rod Stewart. It's, it's so good. It's, I'll just play a few seconds of it here. All the coughing in there. Yeah, of course, well. this is from uh, someone's point of view in the in the audience. So apologies for that. Uh, Cameron Poitras, why don't we go to you next? Well, you know, I, if I would could meet any Canadian right now and sit down and have dinner with them and stuff, I, I'd choose Jim Carrey. Not because I, I grew up loving his movies as a kid, but he's such an eccentric. Like, he's kind of off the deep end and so many ideas and his viewpoints and in, in the world. He's like a, he's a painter now and, uh, you know, out of acting in Hollywood, he's got all these crazy ideas. And um, I, I went down a rabbit hole of all sort of these like uh, speeches that he did one time uh, over the course of like uh, pretty uplifting, you know, ab- ab- about the, the universe and all that sort of thing. So I'd love to just 
have a have dinner with him and just like all ask the places him, that conversation. Could yeah, go. Oh, exactly, man. exactly. And it would it would it wouldn't be about maybe it would be a little bit about acting and and you know those movies and like in Living Color and stuff. I grew up with like Fire Marshal Bill and stuff. I love, but uh, <laughs> I just love just to talk to him about just life. His uh, episode with Jerry Seinfeld, comedians in cars getting coffee, is quite excellent. Yeah. if you haven't I've seen, seen it, it. yeah, so it's good. awesome. Smoking. <laughs> Sorry, somebody had to do it. Somebody <laughs> had to do it. Well, Forte, when do we go to you next? I'm going to have to say Neil Peart from Rush. Uh, listen, I'm, oh. not, like, I'm not a huge Rush fan. Like, I'm not the type of guy who, you know, jumps in his car and, you know, blasts Rush. I'm more of, like, I love to watch their live stuff. The three of them, Getty, Neil, and uh, Alex, the three of them, three-piece just sound huge. And Neil's drumming is just out of this world. Uh, unfortunately, I never got to see him live, and that's one of my biggest regrets in life. But uh, just when you watch him playing drums, it's just amazing. Yeah, no, he well, and he's sort of revered. His 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 drum work is revered throughout all of music, is it not? For oh, yeah, yeah, he's uh, one of the best drummers of all time. It's a good pick. I like that. It's funny. I was thinking Jim Carrey as well, potentially as one. What about you, Loren? Oh, there's so many places to go. So if I was talking to my 17-year-old self, I might pick the Tragically Hip uh, as legends. If I'm talking about my 10-year-old self, I might go Michael J. Fox. He's in the news again this morning. Legendary actor, of course, and I watched Family Ties growing up, but he was talking about his experience with Parkinson's and the fact that he won't be around at 80. And so he's been so candid about that conversation. But I had to go on the music front back to sort of the 70s, and someone who actually covered a Gordon Lightfoot song because the first thing I thought of last night was I was in grade one or two, uh, no older than six or seven, when my parents on a school night came home and said, we're taking you girls to see a concert in Brandon tonight. And I was like, oh man, like I'm so young and it's a school night. We're going to be up late. They had an extra ticket, two extra tickets to see someone that I think most kids wouldn't have been that excited to see. She's a four-time Grammy Award winner, multiple Juno Award winner, nine big country awards that night at the Keystone Center. We listened to... Anne-Marie, baby. (laughs) And I can still remember... Where I was looking down on the stage just because it was cool to be a kid at that thing. And then if I'm just being a little nostalgic this morning, um, I chose this one because even when playing it this morning, I can picture my mom and dad dancing in the kitchen. There's so many nights that ended at our house with music and my parents dancing and they're, they are great dancers. And so when I hear this song, I just think of all the memories that they conjure up. That's fantastic. Did you end up going to school the next day? I'm sure. Yeah. There was no not going to school in my house. There was, a, there was <laughs> oh, very boy. few reasons to not go to school. <laughs> Sarah McCarthy, what about you? I got to go with Shania Twain. She was oh. my first concert at the MTS Center when it was called that here. And uh, loved her ever since. I was five or six years old in the nosebleeds, but it was amazing. Exact and- same experience. <laughs> Yep. Anne-Marie Shania Twain. <laughs> <laughs> far, far away. Yeah, as kids. Yeah, love it. I think for me, I'd probably go, oh, do we have some Shania coming? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, for me, I'd probably go with, uh, I mean, we play his music every morning, Chris Jericho. But I think I'd mm. go with the combination of Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega, the two wrestlers who lead all elite wrestling, especially after seeing them live here in Winnipeg just a couple of months ago because the people were chanting for Jericho. They were chanting for Omega. But then when they when the crowd started chanting, Winnipeg, Winnipeg, it just it added this 
this additional pride. It was already such an exciting moment to see the two of them in the ring together when they finally got in the ring together because the crowd was set to explode. And then people started chanting. So it's just this, you know, it's cool to see these two guys leading this international wrestling promotion on such a global scale. And then to see that, have that moment, I just thought, good for good for you guys for for waving the flag so proudly. You know, Chris Jericho uh, has his his podcast, his Talk is Jericho, I think it's called, and he goes into such great detail about life in Winnipeg and his dad, Ted Irvin, the former New York Ranger, Isaac Brockrad, morning, Ted, and just his, you know, love of things Winnipeg, CKND and, and recording movies for his cousins in Saskatchewan, <laughs> and they would take them to Saskatchewan in the summer and watch the movies on, v, you know, on VHS and and the whole connection to Winnipeg music. And yeah, you know what? Chris Jericho, I think we talked about this when he was when he was here, is such an incredible ambassador for our city. And uh, we've had him on our show once or twice, Brett. But to sit down and have an extended discussion would be fantastic. It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And today we're talking about Canadian legends after the news that Gordon Lightfoot has died at the age of 84. We're asking you to tell us who's your favorite Canadian legend. Do you have a story about a Canadian legend or maybe you've even met one? And we're getting lots of votes, Loren, for this next entry. Gary, a.k.a. Sleepy Beefaroni, texted to say, Mr. Lightfoot's passing has left a hole in my heart today. I always wanted to see him but kept putting it off. He is my Canadian musical hero. John Candy, however, is probably my all-time Canadian treasure. And I asked you guys, you know, which clip would she pull? And then I decided, you know what? I'm going with the film I love, Uncle Buck. Where do you live? In the city. Do you have a house? Apartment. On a rent? Rent. What do you do for a living? Lots of things. Where's your office? I don't have one. How come? I don't need one. Where's your wife? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. Do you have kids? No, I don't. I'll come. It's an even longer story. <laughs> Are you my dad's brother? What's your record for consecutive <laughs> questions asked? 38. I'm your dad's brother, all right. You have much more hair than your nose than my dad. How well, nice of you to notice. I'm a kid. That's my job. Oh. <laughs> I love that movie. John Candy's getting a lot of votes this morning, actually, as, as one of the Canadian legends that we remember fondly. Yeah, that, that, and I'm not surprised by that. He was so, so good. I forgot how good that is. I haven't watched that movie in years. And Mackling, uh, we got a good, good one, too, on as it pertains to hockey. Yeah, Mark says, my wife, a fan of the Boston Bruins, apologies, <laughs> says Mark, was at a golf tournament, and the special guest speaker was Ken Dryden. She approached the legendary goalie for the Habs and said, <clears throat> Mr. Dryden, I've always been a fan of the Bruins, but I would still like to have your autograph, to which... The always classy Mr. Dryden replied, of course, you suffered long enough. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. You've hosted events with Ken Dryden, have you not? Yeah, a couple, one in person and one online. And he's just an absolutely the classiest. I don't know if that's a word, but he is uh, as classy as they come, engaging, thoughtful. Just uh, love the man. Canadian legends, text us at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win tickets to see Jagged Little Pill, the Broadway award-winning musical coming to the Centennial Concert Hall in October, inspired by the music of Canada's own Alanis Morissette. 
It is time for Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by cooperators investing in your future together. Now, today is a big day for aspiring professional football players with an eye on playing in the Canadian Football League. Turn you to exciting 15th round action at the Canadian Football League draft. And so the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, who scored only four rouges all last season, Jack. Stupid the- Flanders. I was wondering what Simpsons clip you were playing. <laughs> I walked into the newsroom, I saw Greg was watching the Simpsons on YouTube and mm-hmm. thought, okay, this is going to go somewhere. I'll wait for it. Now, I'm quite certain the Saskatchewan Rough Riders scored more than four rouges last year. How many exactly? I'm not positive, but my uh, quick research shows eight. Uh, I don't think there are 15 rounds in today's CFL draft either, but our next guest will know the answer to at least one of these two questions. Ed Tate, BlueBombers.com joins us now. Ed, good morning. Good morning. How many rounds uh, today in the CFL draft? It's not 15. There's not 15. Saskatchewan scored more than four rouges. There's eight eight rounds today. The Bombers have a pick in, in each of their rounds, starting with eight overall in the first round. Excellent. All right. Thanks for joining us this morning, Ed. It was uh, great well, connecting with you. You me off with a Simpsons reference. It's great. You have to be prepared for that every year on the CFL draft. <laughs> it is a timeless clip for sure. So the Red Blacks, uh, let's start uh, in Ottawa. They have four of the first 17 picks, and that feels as though it could be a huge opportunity for Bobby Dice's Ottawa team. Yeah, it's a real good point. Uh, Bobby's now the, the head coach there after being the interim coach at the end of last season. Um, Sean Burke, former Hamilton uh, general manager, assistant general manager there, is now the boss in Ottawa. And they've got a chance to really replenish their Canadian cupboard here with uh, some that many picks in the top 20. Um, and they've got needs all over the place. So this is an important day for everybody, not just Ottawa, even teams like Winnipeg that had piled up a pile of wins over the last few years. You always want to keep your Canadian content uh, well-stocked. I might look at that number eight, Ed, which is where the Blue Bombers get their pick at Mm. number eight and think, well, that's pretty far down the list, but is there an opportunity there to to still get an impactful player? Absolutely, uh, Loren. The the kids coming out of Canada now are better than ever before. We just saw over the weekend five players got drafted into the NFL, five Canadians, and it just seems that the, the U sports and the, the Canadians in the NCAA are better prepared than ever before. So it's a, you know, there's a lot of Canadians playing. It's a decent draft. Uh, I'm told that there aren't guys at the top that jump out as, as the clear cut sort of top 10 players, but the, it's a deep draft. And especially, you know, it's, it's got a lot of talent in the first three, four rounds. So um, Winnipeg will get somebody decent at eight and probably two with their next fifth, next pick at 15 and, and on down the line. And th- this club has done such a good job of drafting in the past. Even their late picks have a real shot of making this team. Who is eligible to be drafted today, Ed? Well, you, you have to kind of apply. It's, it's Canadian guys that are in the, their third year, finished their third year of eligibility, still could go back to school. Um, and so that's a huge list of, of players, but um, even, and I know Greg and I were texting about this earlier, there's a guy at, that's playing at, at Florida International, a defensive lineman named Noah Curtis, I guess just found out that he's eligible for the draft because uh, he's actually born in Florida, but his mother's from from Port Dover, Ontario. So probably what happened is he didn't get an NFL look or didn't get drafted and thought, 
where am I going to play football? And his agent sniffed around and found out that you could, he could qualify as a Canadian. It's the same sort of thing that happened to Drew Wallatarski a few years ago, who's American, but his mom is Montreal. So that makes him a Canadian under CFL standards. So let's also talk then about the fact that uh, there are as many Canadians as ever getting drafted into the National mm-hmm. Football League. Will there be players, Ed, that were drafted over the weekend in Kansas City in the NFL draft that also get drafted today into the CFL? Yes or no? Yeah, well, quite possibly. Like the first Canadian picked in on the weekend in the NFL draft was Matthew Bergeron, an offensive lineman right. from Syracuse. It was taken by Atlanta. Uh, he was taken in the second round, so it's unlikely that he'll come to Canada because he's just going to, there's so much interest in him, even if he was to get cut by Atlanta in a couple of years, he'd probably get, you know, two, three other opportunities after that down south. Um, the the further down you go in the draft, uh, there's a, more of a possibility that you come back to Canada. But uh, there's even players that were signed right after the draft. A couple of Canadian guys, they, they signed what's called undrafted free agent or priority free agent um, deals with NFL teams. And they'll get upfront money too from from signing. And so they're, they're unlikely to be on anybody's radar right away. Um, and then you get players that are invited to mini camps down south. Those are the ones that will probably hear, hear their name called regardless today by CFL teams. It's quite a complicated process because I don't think there's any other league in the in the world that mandates you have to play a certain amount of, of players from your country like the, they do in the CFL right. with Canadians. Well, well, was that a similar situation, the one that you just outlined? Jeff Gray had his NFL day yeah. here where scouts came to Winnipeg, which was uh, extraordinary uh, to be sure. Uh, but he ended up going not drafted, if memory serves, and then he signed as a free agent. But the Bombers drafted him anyway, correct? That's right. He uh, he had interest from um, from a bunch of NFL teams. You're, you're right. I remember that day at the U of M because it he at the end of his session he was on a unicycle which had all the scouts wondering what the heck's going on with this guy but they'd never seen a 300 pound guy on a unicycle before so i'm not sure that helped their his his draft stock but um you know he's a guy that he was uh he was drafted i'm sorry he was signed by the packers as an undrafted free agent but spent time down there with green bay the jets and cleveland i think but the bombers were patient, took him in the first round, and then waited uh, almost two years before he came to to Canada. So um, th- those are kind of players. When you're deep, like Winnipeg is at Canadians, you can take risk on that. When you need help, uh, as the Bombers were when this regime first took took over in 2014, you need help right away. You don't take flyers on players like that, especially early. All right, all right, Ed. Before we let you go, it's May. We're getting close. To, to, to some football here. How are things getting exciting around there? Uh, absolutely, it's finally feels like football weather a little bit. Next May tenth, next Wednesday is the opening of rookie camp, and then a few days later on the Sunday is the when the veterans report, and we have main training camp. So it's go time for the Bombers. Ed Tate from BlueBombers.com. Thank you very much, sir. Always a pleasure. Thanks a lot. You guys have a good day. Breakfast with the Bombers every Tuesday just after Global News at 7.30. It's brought to you by Cooperators, investing in your future together. Up next, we're going to switch from football to hockey because there's something rather interesting happening in Florida as it pertains to 
Maple Leafs fans, i.e., in some eyes, perhaps the most annoying people on the planet, depending on yeah. what you think. Summed it up nicely, but it's my kid's one, so I can't say most annoying. He's cute as heck. <laughs> and his buddy who loves him is cute as heck. And so, I, you know what? As someone once said to him, who was employed by the Leafs and then got fired by them, they said, kid, you got to love who you love and don't let anyone take that away from you. If they're your team, let them be your team. I remember walking into the Calgary Saddle Dome with my siblings and my mom back in the day. It would have been 1996, ahead of the Jets moving to Arizona, all in our Jets gear. And I'll never forget a Calgary Flames going, look at these idiots. <laughs> Not far off, but <laughs> like, come on. You got, you got to love your team. You got to rep your team no matter where, no matter how. And as we've been saying for Jets fans, you got to stick with it in the good times and bad. So... It's been a lot of bad for the Leafs. A lot, a lot of bad. So much bad. (laughs) It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Five months tomorrow, and we lamented this earlier, at least because we don't want to think about October yet, but five months tomorrow, Manitobans, Loren, go to the polls. Yeah, so the provincial election is slated for October, and there's already all sorts of promises being made. I don't know. It depends who you are. The countdown might be on or it might not. Uh, we'll ask our next guest. We welcome for our monthly visit, Premier Heather Stephenson. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be back in the studio today. So five months, one day to the election. Unless but who's you, counting? Well, who's, I don't know. I'm wondering, are you, are, and are there any plans to go earlier? Are we sticking to that October date? Sticking to October 3rd. Okay, so this will be your first camp- campaign as Premier to stay Premier. So it's, a, it's an yes. official one for you in that sense. And I'm wondering about uh, campaigns and how heated they can get. And we just had last month that exchange between PCMLA Abi Khan and the leader of the opposition. That was heated uh, purportedly. Mm-hmm. And what are your thoughts on just on negative campaigning and negative ads? Do you have a line where you say to your team, I don't want to go down that? Because of the emotions in this province right now and all sorts of things, there might be those saying, I don't want it to get into that negative rhetoric. Let's yeah. stick to the promises and what people will do. Yeah, Loren, I mean, I'm not a combative person. Those people who know me, um, I'm just not a combative person by nature. I don't, I don't like that side of it. Uh, I prefer to stick to the issues at hand that are very important to Manitobans. Uh, so things like the economy, healthcare, education, justice, social services, all of those things. And um, we'll, we'll continue to have healthy debates on those things. One of the things I know, Brett, though, you've mentioned in listening to just campaigns and politicians and some of the rhetoric that does come out is that idea that it always gets into, well, your, your team did this. This is where you screwed up. And it's never about what the person is promising. It's about, well, maybe you can put it in your own words, Brett, but it's frustrated you, I know. Well, and that, that's just, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody because I hear it, I've been hearing it all the time for years, hearkening back to administrations going back, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. It's like, can we, okay, um, I don't care the, the, what, what the previous, previous government did. Like, can we just focus on what's happening now? Well, you can't erase history, though. I mean, you have to remind Manitobans of some of the things that did take place in in the past. And uh, but again, I you know I'm premier now. There's lots of things that need to be done now, and I want to focus on the future. And so that's you know what you'll see come out of us. I mean, things like how are we going to grow our economy? If we're growing our economy, there's more money for healthcare, education, justice, social services. So those are the areas where we'll, we'll focus on. So money, revenue, uh, may be tied to our next point of conversation here. Winnipeg police saying mm-hmm. yesterday 20% of people charged 
with violent offenses last year were out on bail. I know this is something that's important to you, something you've been leading the discussion on, in fact. So your party is promising more supervision for people on bail with more probation officers, better monitoring and another full-time psychologist to deal with offenders. Where are we going to find these officers? Like any aspect of the economy right now, there's a challenge in finding personnel to do just about anything. So it's all well and good to have a plan. How do you implement it? Yeah, and again, that will be um, up to, we'll work with our partners um, with uh, law enforcement to ensure that um, there are these programs in place for those who are out on bail. But we're not taking our foot off off the gas when it comes to calling on the federal government for bail reform. We need to ensure that the most violent uh, offenders remain behind bars where they should be, not out on bail. But until that, and then the federal government, in fairness, has said that they would move on that, that they would make those changes. But there's six weeks left. Six weeks left in session, and they need to introduce legislation pretty quickly. We will still push them uh, towards that, but in the meantime, we want to ensure that we're protecting the public uh, when these when these individuals, unfortunately, are out uh, on bail. What's the overall overall philosophy? We were having this discussion earlier this morning with regard to rehabilitation versus warehousing of of criminals, and and I suggest very strongly that we're committed to neither. Because it's not uncommon for us to have a media press release on our air that says this individual is a high risk to reoffend. So we're not warehousing some of our most dangerous criminals. Yeah. And on the other hand, we're not necessarily rehabilitating those who maybe have a chance that, you know, have served two years less a day, that sort of thing that aren't yet, quote unquote, career criminals. What's your view on that? So back when I was Minister of Justice, we introduced the criminal justice system modernization strategy, and that was really geared towards ensuring that we're rehabilitating those, so not reoffending. So we look at the recidivism rates. Back then, we were able to reduce recidivism by 22%, and so because of that, that modernization strategy. And so we have to focus on that, but at the same time, focus on ensuring that those most violent you know, sex offenders remain behind bars where they should be. Is that number, the 22 percent, is that current or for back when that you was, made those changes? That was when I made those changes and we started to reduce, you know, recidivism back then. And so Do you have any sense that that's still a trend in terms of the numbers? I haven't at looked at it, you know, most recently, Loren, but um, I do know that various things that we put in place started to really make a difference. Um, and, you know, when we're looking at people who are at risk of reoffending, how are we getting them the programs that they need so that they're not remaining or they're, they're not getting back into the system? And so um, that reduction is pretty significant at the time. And uh, I know that those programs uh, remain in place as well. So last week, the Crown Attorneys Association said it was overworked, understaffed, underpaid. We know the budget put aside more money for attorneys, but how can we retain them? Like if we're if we're paying less than counterparts to the west and east of us, how do we keep them here? Yeah, like I mean, this is all obviously it's uh, under negotiations right now. So I don't want to get too into the details now because um, we need to allow that process to to take place. Um, but certainly, um, you know, we have, I have a tremendous amount of respect for what our Crown attorneys do. Uh, I work with them in, in previous roles. I want to ensure that, um, that we are providing the incentives to keep them here in Manitoba. Um, but, you know, there's other areas of, of Manitoba where we haven't been competitive uh, with other provinces across the country. 
um, in taxation, for example. Well, now we just make, we uh, we change the basic personal amount up to fifteen thousand dollars. That makes us competitive. That's where the Canadian rate is at. So that's making us more competitive. But all of these areas, we need to look at jurisdictions across the country to make sure that we're competitive with other jurisdictions in order to to keep people in Manitoba. You've heard it in a wide variety of sectors. Every sector, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Greg referenced the resource people as the resource right. for probation officers or police officers or security guards. And we talk about Crown attorneys leaving. And then, of course, when you look at health care, so there's a number of ways to ask the resource question. But yesterday, the leader of the opposition, Wab Canoe, announced they wanted to, if, if elected, they would reintroduce a program that the Conservatives scrapped, which was a paying for rural doctors in terms of retaining them and then saying, we'll give you X dollars if you stay in the community for X number of months. Would you be willing to look at something like that for so retaining? So we're already doing that. Um, we so have a two hundred million or a different program? It's, we, we are, it's, it's a $200 million program, uh, 2,000 more healthcare professionals for the province of Manitoba. We've already recruited um, up to 800 of those in the last five months alone. Um, just last week, we the Shared Health issued an RFP for 150 doctors in rural and northern Manitoba. So we're already moving in that direction. Um, and to, to recruit those uh, those individuals to rural and northern Manitoba. So that would come with an added incentive to say if you agree to stay for Again, five years? Again, there's an RFP out there for um, various uh, companies to recruit. Exactly, to recruit. And so, you know, it's up to them how, how are we going to recruit those individuals and, and to keep them here in Manitoba. And obviously, we need to be competitive with other provinces. The discussion, let's shift now to uh, our favorite time of year for many Manitobans is, of course, summer and camping and getting out and Mm -hmm. exploring Manitoba. But I know for a lot of folks, northwestern Ontario has become the camping destination of choice. And that's because their facilities are, are above Manitoba's in a lot of cases. I know... Camping here is very popular, but investments in provincial parks, provincial campgrounds are something that we've lamented for years in our conversations here. Are we prepared to jump in and and make Manitoba provincial parks a little more competitive over the next several years? You know, absolutely. But we already have been. I think a lot of people just don't know that we have been putting those resources into our parks. Uh, We know particularly after COVID, and we did a lot of this work uh, during COVID because we could get that done at that time. Um, but ensuring that, you know, Manitobans have a place to go in Manitoba is It's a priority then for your government? Absolutely it is. Um, I love the outdoors myself, uh, and and I, you know, I love Manitoba, and I want to get out to our parks and and our lakes and and all of those things, and it's, um, you know, particularly after COVID where people couldn't get out, you know, now is a chance, and people are very excited to get out and, and enjoy their time in our parks. Because Lake Winnipeg, uh, you know, just since we're having this conversation, Lake Winnipeg, lots of friends with cottages on Lake Winnipeg. I'm not lucky enough to be one of them, but spending time on the beaches, boy, the, the water quality of that lake has changed since since we were kids going to Grand Beach, right? Uh, you know, on a May long or July long weekend. That, that's really changed. You know, I'm. it's something that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I care very deeply about our lakes and I want to make sure that we're putting uh, together programs to make sure that we're, um, you know, uh, cleaning up the Lake Winnipeg. Um, just annou- the announcement that we made with the mayor on the North End Wastewater Treatment Facility, um, phase one and two of that, still phase three on the nutrient uh, loading. Um, but stay tuned for, for more on that. It's just something that's, that's very near and dear to my heart. 
And before we let you go, just uh, in the wake of the death of Gordon Lightfoot, we're talking about Canadian legends this morning. And, you know, in your position, you've probably met a lot of famous people. And Anybody jump to mind in terms of maybe an interaction with uh, somebody you might consider a Canadian legend? No, I did run into Sarah McLaughlin once, and uh, that was kind of exciting. Okay. I do know Chantel Kreviazic, um, but I, uh, I went to school with her, actually, and um, wonderful individual as well who really gives back to the community. Uh, but, you know, Gordon Lightfoot himself is a is a music icon in our country, and uh, he's got a lot of great songs that he's written and produced himself, and, and uh, so uh, it's very sad for our country. Do you play a musical instrument? I don't know if I've ever asked no, you that before. No, I don't. That, you don't need to. It's no. not a requirement. I was just curious. <laughs> Every once in a while, you'll have And boy, you don't want and, me to try, Lauren. I never forget being at the Canada Life Center at one event, and Mark Chippen was on the drums. You know, right. Sometimes oh, yeah. people have these talents that come out of nowhere, and you think, I did not know that. Yeah, Mark's right. quite a, a good drummer. Like, not even the recorder. Like, we have an opening on <laughs> oh, Friday I, I mornings. I actually used to play the recorder, but you don't want to hear that either. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be better than Jeff Forte. <laughs> Our producer, Jeff Forte, tries every Friday at 7. 35 and fails miserably. <laughs> Premier Heather Stephenson, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Great to be here. Thanks. It is Mackling McGarry and McNabb with the death of Gordon Lightfoot at 84, Canadian legend, legendary musician, folk singer. We're talking about and celebrating Canadian legends today. And we're asking you at 204-780-6868 to tell us who your favorite is. Do you have a story about an interaction you had with one? Up for grabs, we have tickets for Jagged Little Pill. This is a Tony and Grammy award-winning Broadway musical inspired by the music of Alanis Morissette that's coming to Winnipeg Centennial Concert Hall in October. As always, a difficult decision, and we've actually recruited the help of Global News Morning's Clay Young to help us with the winner, which we'll get to in a moment. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Welcome to the studio, by the way, As Mr. Clayman. I Clay said, don't make here. eye contact with don't him. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> don't look. You don't know where it'll Just take don't you. Don't look. It's like Medusa. Don't look. <laughs> this was a tough choice. Ruth is our runner-up, Greg, and this story blew our minds. I will lead off by saying that I'm one of those voice people. I recognize people just hearing their voice. I was working at the world-famous Palomino Club as a hostess in 1989. Hi, Ruth. A very busy Friday night. When out in the crowd, waiting to get in, I hear a voice that makes me feel like a little kid. Friendly giant? Slowly a hand rises from the crowd. I get Wayne, the best bouncer that ever lived, to go get him and his group and bring them in free of charge. I've met some fairly famous people, Metallica, Bon Jovi, etc. This was a major fangirl moment for me. Bob Holm was a Canadian treasure. Friendly giant at the Palomino Club. You've got to be kidding me. That's one of those uh, names that I wouldn't have known as real name. No. And you wonder how he went through life, like everywhere he went, would they just be like, oh, giant, friendly. friendly What's or- up? Where's Jerome? Where's Rusty? <laughs> how high is up? How high is way, way up? up? Never mind that. What's he doing at the Palomino Club? Well, that's what I want to know. Playing Where's the recorder. He had a show. Yeah. <laughs> On yeah. his recorder. I'm curious to know how well he did last night. And I guess that kind of ties into our winning text here. And again, this was a tough choice between the Friendly Giant and the Shatner. This from Dave. Clay's going to help us with this. But, Loren, you spotted this text. Started off. 
I have a story about when I took my dad to meet Canadian legend Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner. Shatner was appearing at Comic-Con and me and my dad were both big Trek fans. My dad knew the names of the episodes and everything. The line to meet Shatner was huge, but we waited patiently for our turn. As we waited, I was curious what my dad would say when he met one of his idols. So they were both appropriately the same age, 80-ish, when when our turn finally came. Shatner greeted us and shook our hands. And then my dad asks, hey, do you remember the episode in the edge of forever with Joan Collins? City in the edge of forever with Joan Collins? And Shatner says, of course. Well, then my father asks, so so what happened there? Did you, um, you know, did you and Joan like, uh, you know, have uh, have relations? So Shatner smiled and thought about it for a second. And then he went into Captain Kirk character. And that's where Clay Young comes in. Clay, what did the Shatner say? Well, sir, as captain of the Enterprise, I've had many adventures, but Joan Collins was not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm bump. That story, I laughed out loud when that came in. Like, he's going to be quick. Shatner, so quick at that stuff. Oh, he is. He's, you know, I met him and I interviewed him. Well, Mr. McGarry will remember. And it was like, as soon as you meet him, you know, uh, I was told, go around the corner. Mr. Shatner's waiting for this interview. I go around the corner. I'm nervous. And there he is. And I went, Captain Kirk, how are you? <laughs> like, you're in person. Do you and remember that time you were in TJ Hooker? That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, if I ran into him today, I'd go, you're going into space at the age of 90? What is it with you? But you you really, the reason why we brought you in, and you're, I imagine much of our audience is well aware of your love of Star Trek, but you walk around here all the time just muttering Star Trek-isms to yourself. Yeah, like, I was uh, doing one this morning. <laughs> I thought, okay, what have I done now? I think I'm in trouble with somebody, but I'm not sure. And all of a sudden this line just came to me. I'm thinking, Dr. McCoy... Well, Scotty, you've done it now. (laughs) And then the response to that is because Mr. Scott's violated something. Well, Scotty, you've done it now. I, the, 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 what what is it I'm trying to think? The haggis is in the fire for sure. you can't look Clay in the eye. Nope. I go down the hall. I was like, Clay, we need you. Why? Just come to the studio. Why? We need you to do William Shatner. I don't do Shatner, but I do do. And he starts yelling these things. <laughs> and I'm like walking away. I'm like, I'm in a commercial break, Clay. Just be there for 910. And he's still doing his impersonation. You can't look you in the eye. Who knows where it will get to? Did derailed. McGarry just about blow that interview for you? Yeah. Yeah, what well, did you the do? First Brad? One. Actually, I had be- the board set up wrong because <gasps> he did two interviews. He did one in where he did it over the phone, and then he did a in second one in person of his visit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought I had the studio set up properly, and I didn't. And Clay's and I'm panicking, and Clay's in the other room saying, "We're going to lose him. You got to get him on." <laughs> we figured it out, but uh, yeah, but it, it worked out for the better because of that screw up. Because he agreed to do an in person then. Right? It worked out in the end. You, yay, you owe Brett pizza. Clay, and yay to Dave yes. for telling us that awesome story from Comic-Con in Winnipeg some 10 years ago. <music> 75 years. The Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra is currently celebrating 75 years of making music together, and they want to celebrate with you. On Saturday, May 13th, they're hosting an event at the Centennial Concert Hall called after party to help close out the 2022-23 season, Lauren. Lynn Stefanchuk is the Director of Development and Advancement at the WSO. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. 
I'm all for an after party, and usually they come when there's been a, a good night of other shows or success. So let's just look back at the shows this year. How's the 2022-23 season been? Really exciting. Uh, you know, it has been a tough go for a lot of performing organizations like ours. So this really did feel for us like uh, a return to filling the hall with people coming to hear really great music. And, and so we had a lot of very celebratory feelings of people getting back to seeing live music again. Lynn, uh, we always rave uh, about the the moves that the WSO has made over the years Mm. to make symphonic music more inclusive for, you know, to welcome young people in with, with, you know, presenting movies with the score played live. Uh, I know the pop series this year has featured ABBA music. Like talk about some of those things that you do. Like, we like to say that uh, your CJOB of 2023 is not your grandpa's CJOB of 1973. <laughs> Talk about how the WSO has evolved over the years to be maybe more inclusive in terms of who it appeals to. Well, I think the wonderful thing about music of all kinds is that it's ever growing and expanding and evolving. And so uh, certainly a priority at the WSO on the part of our um, artistic staff is to expand the scope of what people think symphonic music is. It's an essential part of every movie you go to. It's uh, it expands beyond just European culture where it has traditionally been. And I think um, both uh, Daniel Reiskin and the orchestra are really excited to explore those things, inviting in new performers who are not, uh, maybe immersed in the traditional classical music world and can contribute to the excitement of classical music and of orchestral music. So for people, you know, young people are so interested in exploring the the scope of all kinds of music that um, presenting that for them is a really great way uh, to involve and and to involve them in the future and in how the WSO evolves. So Saturday, May 13th, it's your season ending Mm -hmm. concert and then the after party. So what's on the itinerary for Saturday concert and the party concert? Yeah. So we have a sold out performance of Beethoven's ninth symphony to start the evening off. So Beethoven's ninth is a really popular one. It's uh, a kind of an, an epic well, it's called Ode to Joy, so it is big and showy and really fun to listen to. Um, and then following that, right after the concert, we're launching into a party. And so um, Emerson Creative has created this, is going to transform the concert hall space. And we will have live music. Dirty Catfish Brass Band will be there. DJ Honeycutt will be there. Um, we've got some cocktails and hors d'oeuvres, and we really want to celebrate. You know, the first performance of the WSO was in 1948 at the Civic Auditorium, and so we are really kind of playing into the flavor of a 1940s canteen dance party. I now have Ode to Joy stuck in my head if I'm thinking of the right one. Like, bum, 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 bum. Right, yes. Well, I'll sing that for someone else later. Nobody needs that right now. Uh, where does one get 1940s clothes, Lynn? It's a good question. Like, what would There's that look be, like? That's like it's pencil skirts, pinstripe suits. Hats. Tommy guns? Can I throw a... 
No. Sure. <laughs> a replica. <laughs> a replica. So this yeah, night, maybe. this night in terms of celebration, Lynn, what, you know, for you, when you look back on the season, you're also looking ahead too, right? So you're trying to connect mm. people to think about next year. So do we already know some of the things that are on tap for the fall? For sure. And I would encourage everybody to visit WSO.ca. And we have our full um, 23-24 season up there. Uh, so we do have our full slate of uh, our BMO at the Movies uh, series. We are doing Star Wars on Star Wars Day, which we're very excited about uh in may and so and we've got our full classic series next year we're doing a really great thing on thursday night we get a lot of feedback that people want an earlier show so the idea is you know stay downtown if you happen to work downtown have a bite to eat come for the show at seven and it's a little bit more of a a casual atmosphere. There will be some explanation of what you're going to hear straight through, no intermission and like a taste of classical music that you can um, uh, really get into and get the uh, background of and interesting um, thoughts on where it comes from. Uh, So Thursday classics, we're very excited about Uh, launching in September uh, with our first classics concert will be a tribute to uh, the anniversary of the establishment of Israel. So there is a lot for everyone. Stephen Page is coming. Natalie McMaster is coming. Uh, we're really excited about our next season for sure. So this uh, wrap-up party, mm-hmm. May the 13th, at 10 p.m. till 1 a.m. You said that the performance is already sold out. Can, can I can I come whether or not yeah. I'm at the performance or not? And Absolutely. is this a fundraiser? How many tickets have you got available for this? Listen, the concert hall is big, so uh, you know tickets are going really quickly. But the, but there's certainly uh, plenty of space in the hall. Uh, there is uh, a, if you a t- partial tax receipt if you want to purchase a ticket. So yes, it's a fundraiser for the WSO to help us fulfill the big plans we've got in the future. And so uh, if you just, all the details are on our website and you can purchase a ticket just to the party and come, you know, between 9.30, 10 o'clock to come to the, and visit the party. If you happen to have tickets for the show already, you'll get a bit of a price break on the tickets. Um, so yeah, all details at WSO.ca. So, of course, this is a celebration, but as you pointed out, it's also a fundraiser. So how important mm-hmm. is that fundraising component to your organization? You know, every organization that relied on ticket sales and people coming to a concert or a show or a performance is really in a recovery period right now. Um, so we worked so hard for decades to build an audience and establish those patterns. And a lot of folks are slow to come back to coming into a live performance after the pandemic. So we're very concentrated on fundraising and supplementing that um, lost ticket revenue that we had from COVID. And we certainly seen great audiences this year, but people still were still not at the same level as we were pre pandemic. So fundraising is a big focus for us going forward. We think we're in a really great shape right now, but we're looking ahead to the future so that we don't have um, a crisis period sometime in the future. So having fundraisers that are also fun 
is uh, a great way to kind of uh, establish some uh, security for us in the future. Well, and it's a great place. Like, like anytime I'm at the Centennial Concert Hall, it's because I'm there to enjoy a show. But as I wander Ooh. around the concert hall, I often think, kind of kind of comfy out here. Like, <laughs> I'd rather just <laughs> hang out in the hall. It's such a neat place for a party. For sure. Uh, yeah, they're throwing down a red carpet uh, for this event as well. And a lot of there's going to be a dance floor in the lobby and um, a lot of it'll be a very different looking concert hall. Well, you can get more information at WSO.ca. It's Saturday, May 13th, the after party, a dance party celebrating 75 years of the WSO. Lynn, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate this. Thank you so much. Lynn Stefanchuk is Director of Development and Advancement at the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. And yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I know that I joke frequently that I'm an uncultured lout, but as I think about it, I've, many of the best concerts and shows I've seen are at the WSO and shows that I never would have imagined. I saw an Elvis Presley tribute show uh, backed by the WSO, and it was amazing. I saw a Michael Jackson tribute show backed by the WSO, and it was Fantastic, and then of course the Jeff Braun and I, the Couch Potatoes, co-hosted the two those two weekends: Star Wars versus Star Trek, and then the Superhero Showdown weekend. That one in particular, <laughs> that was tough because I'm sitting on a couch right on stage in front of 2,500 people, and I'm trying not to ball my brains out because all that music, like that that superhero stuff, that's like the soundtrack of my life. And live, much. it just hits different. Yeah, as they say, you know, for sports, I think the Jets even had. I think that was one of their advertising campaigns last year. I didn't mean to plagiarize it, but I think they they said live hits different. And when it comes to symphonic music, it's one thing to listen to it on your home stereo or in your car or somewhere else. But it's just so spectacular in person. And if you go on their website, I think people, there might be that misconception of what symphony is and what that music sounds like. And there really is when you mentioned something for everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the movie with the symphony or I, I remember doing a story where there was a conductor who came, I want to say it was England or Scotland and um, she was hearing impaired, uh, but she shows, she t- takes her shoes off, stands on the stage and she feels the vibrations feels through her mm. feet and she was conducting the orchestra and that was super cool and really engaging also for members of the hearing impaired community, which was really neat. And then I remember interviewing someone who played the French horn and I think I said something to her like, Oh, fancy. Like, would you know anything I know? And then she proceeded to play, five or six different riffs from different movies like Star Wars and, you know, all the rest where it was all where the French horn was integral. And you're like, oh, so I do know you from somewhere. <laughs> like, I, you just don't realize how much it actually is part of daily life. Well, think and think back to when we were in school. I'm sure the RCAF, uh, I'm trying to think of the band that we've had at the Grace Hospital Foundation Gala. The, the, the jet stream, I think they're called. Yep. But they've got the full orchestra that travels around all the schools and they would do, you know, the classic symphonic stuff. They would do movie and TV themes. And for a lot of us, that was the first introduction to the symphony. At least it was in Brandon because we didn't have the WSO in Brandon. And then to go to a live show. Oh, man, I'm all excited. Nothing for, like it. For words that I don't think have been uttered on this station before, Forche, crank that ode to joy. <laughs> 